In episodes 1 through 9, you might hear the podcast name Heart of Nashville mentioned. This podcast was originally called Heart of Nashville, but due to a name conflict, I decided to change the podcast name to Nashville Untold and relaunch it. Just wanted to note that so it was not confusing when a guest or myself mentioned the name Heart of Nashville instead of Nashville Untold in the first few episodes. Here it comes. It's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode nine of Heart of Nashville. And thank you for tuning in. Today in the Rambler, I'll be hanging out with Lidge Shaw. I met Lidge through a mutual friend last year when I was launching Music City Real Estate Show. We ate at one of his favorite Mexican restaurants in East Nashville. Can't recall the name, but we had a great meeting and he just kind of gave me some insight into podcasting and names and and some music stuff. Um, I like looking at his Facebook profile pics as well of his earlier days and now um, you should see the beard he has in comparison to the beard he did not have. So uh, make sure to check that out. He has a lot of cool insight for the music industry and talks a bit about suing the city of Nashville, which obviously is interesting if you're living in Nashville. And so finally I had to just let go and I just said like, I can't do it anymore. I've got to go home to my family. In a way it felt like a failure and a low point for me because I was giving up. Um, You know, I ended up not, you know, not getting paid for the last for, you know, significant that I didn't get paid in the end because I didn't stick it out all the way through or this or that or whatever the reason was. It was most some BS, but... Right, right. Uh, and I came back and then I started my studio here. So that it felt like this huge failure, but then the process of starting my the Toy Box studio and building and growing that has been so much more rewarding musically and I've made so many more records and I've, I've gotten to know people and done so much great stuff. Today, the musical guest will be a friend of mine, Ross Holmes, on the fiddle again. Ross announced this week that he'll be officially joining the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band family. If you want to hear an in-depth interview with Ross as he talks everything fiddle and shares some of his story, take a listen to episode two of Music City Real Estate Show. Ross was one of my first guests last year, and um, he has a lot of great insight into uh, the music industry as well. So, uh, you know, get a little extra time on your hand, check that out. And without further ado... Hello, Nashville. I am in East Nashville today, sitting here with Lidge Shaw. How you like, doing? Good, like Fridge, and he's cool like that. <laughs> yeah, so so the uh, the silly joke is that when people are trying to understand how to pronounce my name, I tell them it's Lidge, which rhymes with Fridge, because I'm cool like that, <laughs> which is just about the dumbest joke in the world, but now you'll never forget. But if you also saw him, and as you, you will check out some show notes and go to his website and then link to YouTube and all that good stuff, he's got a pretty awesome beard that he's pulling off and stuff. So he's got Thank a cool look much. for sure. It's a, Now it's actually a prerequisite for living in East Nashville, I think, uh, is to yeah. be bearded. Yeah, I was at an event this weekend, and there was a guy there, and he had a pretty cool like beard. and he's He wouldn't fall into the hipster 
Um, but somebody labeled him as that. And I was like, well, you know, people pull off beards without it being hipster. Sure, totally. I mean, I didn't used to have a beard, but then they let me know that I would need to have one if I wanted oh. to stay and remain in East Nashville. Really? So okay. Yeah. So they were about to boot you out, huh? Yeah. Wow. Dude, they had a sign in your yard to yeah. sell it and everything. It was weird. It was this this um, sort of like mysterious, abstract, black shape of a, a mob of people oh. just called they. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That's scary, man. my house one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to start out with a speed round. I'm going to ask you. A, a list of questions and just pop what comes first to your mind. Um, how long have you lived in Nashville? I've been. I moved here in '91, and uh, the mile marker for me was I remember driving around in my Ford Escort station wagon, which I had spray painted entirely silver, listening to WRVU, which is the Vanderbilt radio station, when they broke "Smells Like Teen Spirit" for Nirvana. Wow! I was listening to that the other day in the shower. And I was just like, man, this is it's just an awesome song. That's rock I and mean, roll. It makes you want to play guitar. Oh man, it it made me want to just really sing loud in the shower. Slam I mean, dance. Yeah, it was. You know, it, it's it was funny really they good. they call it mosh pit. You know, mm-hmm. but that's in my experience that appeared in the '90s. In the '80s, we were just calling it slam dancing. Yeah, I don't know that I was maybe a little younger. STP's coming to town. Which I was excited until I remembered that the lead singer wasn't alive, right? Tell, tell me more about STP. I don't know if I Stone know Stone Temple Pilots. Oh, Stone <laughs> Temple Pilots. I got you. All right, cool. I mean, cool. isn't the lead singer, isn't he dead? Oh, my goodness. I'm supposed to know these answers. I don't. I think he I is. I think that just happened. Yes. That, yeah. And so I'm kind of like, how is it the same? Thing. You know? Actually, I'm going to back up and I'm going to say the answer yes. to that is yes, because Eddie Vedder, we were just talking about that at the Winter Nam Festival in, in L.A., about how Eddie Vedder is like one of these last, last remaining singers of right. the grunge scene. Gotcha. And uh, uh, there was a joke made about rubbing, r- wrapping him in bubble wrap to keep him safe. Oh. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you know, of course, it was all done in a, a tasteful way. Right, right, you know, right. Sort of missing all these. Yeah, I know, man. Tom Petty, he's gone. That's yeah. sad. All right, so why'd you move to Nashville? I came down here because I wanted to go to school for recording because I had seen the inside of a recording studio when I was playing guitar in a blues band in Hong Kong, of all places. And I saw the blinking lights and everything, and I was like, that looks cool. That's for me. Came back to Boston and looked in the back of a magazine called Mix Magazine, which somebody introduced me to. And they said, there's a list of schools in there. You can go learn how to do this stuff. So I uh, rode away to about 50 of them. And one of them that was in there that stood out, there was a school called Middle Tennessee State University, and they had just built this incredible facility that had multiple pro studio spaces in it and I, I decided I'm moving from Boston down to this faraway place called Nashville. I knew nothing about it, never been to the South before, and came down to go to school there. And if you moved to Tennessee and became an in-state resident, then you could go to college there at that time for $800 a semester wow. for full tuition. So wow. <laughs> that sounded pretty good. Yeah. So I came down here and went to school for a couple of years and learned how to record music. Well, that was like only 10 years ago, right? <laughs> yeah, only 10 years ago. 91. Uh, so where'd you... You, where'd you move from? Boston? Boston, yep. I, How long did you live there? Massachusetts. From six years old okay. to, you know, 18, 23. I mean, at 18, I went off to college. Yeah. 17, 18, went to St. Louis. Okay. So that was sort of my introduction, you know, falling in love with the Midwest was yeah. being in St. Louis and playing in a band up there. We had a, we had a band called Enormous Richard, which was a, a, one of those names that sure seemed funny in college right. when, we, when we started it. And then later on. Oh, yeah. Desperately trying to think of ways to come up with a new name for the band because, it, it, you know, the band wanted to continue, but the name didn't. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, that's like a, uh, a guy in Houston. He does vasectomies, and his name is Richard Chop. And no. it's, it's, it's real. 
Like, sorry, Richard. <laughs> I'm really sorry. You know he had to like. I mean, he was named it, and he's like, this would be a really cool profession to go into. Like, it would be you know easy marketing for me. That's true. Um, that's funny. Well, my wife and I went up for a for for my fortieth and in Boston. I love it up there. Yeah, it's awesome. We just walked the town. I don't even know if I can find my bars. way around anymore. Probably yeah. doesn't look anything like it used to. It was it was cool. It was Did fun. you go to the Union Oyster House when you were there? It doesn't ring a bell. Places they they have an oyster bar that is like 200 years old wow the physical wooden bar yeah. that they shuck oysters on not the oysters not the oysters <laughs> themselves <laughs> they're only about 195 years old so as uh what part of town do you live in now and why east you nashville. this location east nashville um, when i decided that i wanted to buy a house which which probably had a lot to do with my younger brother buying one just before me it's a lot of a lot of my decisions in life are based on that you okay know, like if if you did it, I'm going to have to Right, do it. right. And then uh, I, I had a realtor, Trasbin Stoner, that's his name. He's a guy who's been on the scene here in Nashville. Now, we don't want to talk about that much. Yeah. No, no, not too much. All right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I didn't even think about that. Um, anyway, I had, uh, my realtor drove me around, said, like, East Nashville is a, is a new up-and-coming um, up place, and you can find all kinds of great houses over there. And we went and took a look, and I found this beautiful home. Now, he knew that I wanted a place where I could put my home studio into it, too, because that was top priority for me. So I found this house that was, like, ready to move into, and it had a garage in the back, and I knew that when I was ready, I could convert the garage into my home studio and, and go to work making yeah, records. That's cool. And it's a pretty, pretty cool studio. You'll see some uh, <clears throat> pictures of that later. So, um, favorite restaurant? El Jalisciense. Is that the one we went to? That's the one we went to. Just right yeah, down the road. It's a taco place up the road on Gallatin Road. And it, and it is in Inglewood. Yeah, okay. And it's fantastic. It was good. Favorite hobby? Probably, gosh, I mean, music is definitely a favorite hobby, but it's also my career. So, mm -hmm. If I was thinking more of a hobby like barefoot running or something like that, you know, getting exercise, that's something that's definitely, uh, I think you could definitely call that a hobby. Yeah. You run any mar marathons? Barefoot yeah, so not? actually I took up barefoot running, I don't know, five years ago, something like that. Over a period of three years, I ran two and a half marathons barefoot, the Nashville Marathon. Have it's the only met, marathon I've ever run. Have you met John yet? John Eichert? I know John Eichert. Yeah. He is he is a badass. Well, yeah. He's so great. He, <laughs> you know, and he's run to Boston several times. Yes, he oh, so I'll I'll share a John story. So okay. First of all first off I know John, John Eichert, yep. who's who's a superhero barefoot runner. Has he been on the show yet? He should Not be. Yet. No, uh, he would be. He would be fun. He's fantastic. Great yeah. talker too. And then I started the Nashville uh, Barefoot Runners group on Facebook, and John's in there, and, and a, a collection of other people. And he told me a story about running the Boston Marathon. John is so fast that he ran the Boston a few years ago, and he got sick. He had a stomach problem, and he ran, and then he, he felt so bad, he had to go lay down under a tree for and take a, a nap for 20 minutes, I think. Was it a 20, that. or was half it Half an nap? hour, something yeah, like okay, that. Yeah, okay, because I remember it being a long time. Yeah, it was a long, well, I mean, a half, 20 minutes <clears throat> yeah, or a half an hour the, in the middle of a marathon is a long time. He took a nap, and then he got up, and he finished the race, and he still finished it in, like, three uh, something hours yeah i remember him telling me that i was like well and it was just crazy to hear the story and to think how much training go went into it and then that happens you know and i don't even think he knew really why it's just he had to take a break like, well it kind of happened to me too i went out for dinner i sort of had this idea well if i'm going to do a marathon i should treat myself to a good dinner the night before and i went to a restaurant that i like but don't go to very often and i think i ordered the sushi and i think the sushi maybe was not top 
notch. Mm, wasn't at the right temperature. I didn't go back and order sushi again after that, but my stomach did. Well, I had knots all night oh, long. And that would be terrible. terrible. I mean, to mentally have to run one, yet now, you know, physically you got some ailments. So tell me a little something crazy about yourself. I just did barefoot running. No, okay. so then the other thing I got into, similar time, is I started following a guy named Wim Hof. So he is a Dutchman who lives in Poland, and he's known as the Iceman. He holds the world's record for the longest cold immersion, <coughs> where he'll get into a box, and then they'll just shovel in ice and snow around him, and he's just, you know, just wearing a pair of shorts, and he can do uh, meditative breathing and control his body temperature. I was really fascinated when I discovered this guy. Started following him and learning more and read a book on it, and then I started practicing it. So when I go do barefoot runs, I'm not doing it as much this winter, but, you know, back mm-hmm. up a year or two, really into it. Uh, I would go and I would train at Shelby Greenway right. and go off and run barefoot in the dead of winter. And sort of a real highlight moment for me was when, one day when we had three, four inches of snow and I went down there, it was 24 degrees out and I was able to run barefoot and a pair of sh- just shorts wow. on the Greenway for five miles out through fresh snow and back again. And in the fall <laughs> I saw were deer who looked at me funny and there was one couple that were wearing, you know, full-on winter clothes. And you were in your shorts. And they just watched me run by, and they're like, what? And then when I came back again, they were like, um, excuse me, are, are you okay? I you was know, about to say, I was, was, there, was there a police sitting there waiting on you to take you to the loony bin? Yeah, so running barefoot in the freezing cold. That's funny. Almost naked. Well, I had uh, I, the whole cold aspect when I was in Haiti. We had cold showers, and I love a hot shower. Um, and you know, I just didn't look forward to the cold shower. So I'm like, how do I do this? You know, initially I would turn the shower on, off, and you know, just enough to get myself wet. But I don't know if somebody told me the the method or if I figured it out. But it was like right before you hit it, you just breathe out, exhale. Right. Because you don't, have, your body is not it doesn't have, the, I guess, any wind to have the shock, and it's amazing the difference it made. Um, I think that the next year we were in the ocean, and I did the same method, and, and I could tolerate it, you know, because it, it would shock ama- my body. It's amazing, and it's remarkable, and anybody listening to this can do it, and you are capable, physically capable, of doing things you had no idea you could do. Yeah, especially you know if you're talking about the cold. If you're interested in checking it out, they are starting to teach classes here. So really? There's, a, there's a, a group called MidwesternMethod.com. Jesse Coomer was my teacher. I actually drove up to Indiana, took a uh-huh. class. They taught the breathing. They taught, really? Uh, we all got in an ice bath. He just wow. lay there, and I felt fantastic. So. Wow. That's crazy. It's so uh, coming to Nashville to teach these clinics now. Where is one of the most ex- um, exciting places you've lived or visited? Not lived, visited. China was pretty special when I went through there. You know, going through Europe was wonderful, but I took a week and went by myself to China and went up to a little town called, uh, it's been so long too, it was, it was Yongshui, I think was the name of the town. And it was, you know, dirt streets and no running Mm-hmm. plumbing and things right. like that. And it was just, it was amazing to see a completely different part of the world. And I met this young guy who was, he was a self-appointed English speaking, like, you know, I heart Americans coming to visit character. And he loaned me his bicycle to go ride around and everything. Then introduced me to his brother who was a painter and I was able to buy paintings to bring back with me. And so it was just a cool experience. You know, That's pretty neat. It was, it was a long time ago. That was in 1990, I think. When yeah. When I did that. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, just kind of an overview. I am a music and podcast producer. Like you said, I live here in East Nashville. I, I came to Nashville to learn how to record music, which I've been doing for 25 years now professionally. I have a recording studio that 
I built behind my house called the Toy Box Studio. Which is really awesome. Yeah, thank you. So, And it's been a lot of fun, actually. We won a Grammy in 2015 because uh, Mike Ferris, Shine for All the People, was mixed on my console in the studio. When I created the studio, I found this amazing mixing console that was actually, believe it or not, it was on eBay. And then I started talking to the owners and, and convinced them to sell it to me. Rather, uh, they were it didn't sell then they were going to send it to the rock and roll <coughs> hall of fame and oh. i had to sell it to me it's a custom built mci board that jeep harned created for criteria studio c in the 1970s down in florida and for a decade it lived in studio c and it's the same board that recorded hotel california for the eagles and when we were setting up for this yeah. interview they're playing hotel california on the that's radio that's pretty there. cool that's what i thought you i thought you planned that it was planned i told you man <laughs> I'm, I'm i dive into my interviewees yeah and so also it did the bg Staying Alive and Saturday Night Fever, did the soundtrack to Grease, recorded Margaritaville, Wearing American wow. Band, just all these incredible records. Even I shot the sheriff for, for Eric Clapton. Wow, that's cool. So that's sort of a centerpiece in the studio. And uh, I've been really enjoying making records. Another thing that I do with that is is for 13 years, I have packed up a studio in a U-Haul truck. I guess not exactly like this, but it, but it kind of reminds me of it just being in a portable you know, mm -hmm. trailer studio space like this. And we take this studio down to the Bonnaroo Festival, just an hour south of Nashville. And we set up a studio in a trailer and then bring in hundreds of bales of hay and encase the whole thing in hay so that it looks like a giant bale of hay with doors coming out. And then we, we bring in bands during the festival and record those. So that's the Hay Bale Studio. And we, we've recorded over a thousand songs you that's know, cool. over the time doing that. And that's really fun. And then my podcast right now uh, is music related. So it's called Recording Studio Rockstars. And I interview professionals so that we can learn from professionals and help the listeners make their best record ever and be a rock star of the studio themselves so right home studio owners professional studio owners people all around the world that's cool so thinking back to your younger years um what influence did your family or environment have on who you are today i think that you know my dad came from a family that was sort of business oriented and, and i grew an appreciation for schooling and, and, you know, like hard work and understanding things like if you're careful and you invest, that will be a good choice for you in the long run. And my mom was an artist. And, and so it was sort of like a, my dad was a banker and my mom was, you know, this free spirited artist. And I was growing up in Brooklyn. So in New York City in the 1970s, uh, just kind of, you know, wild stuff going on. And so I really got a mix of those things. And I think that for me now, you know, my interest in music and creativity and, and always wanting to be a creative paired together with a real, real appreciation for entrepreneurship is kind of at the core of everything that I'm doing now yeah that's you know? cool and then of course i haven't even mentioned my daughter yet so she, mm -hmm. she, she's the most important thing in my life and uh really an appreciation for family and just you know trying to be a great dad and have a great right. home and, and a place for my my daughter to grow and how old is she she's 12 now 12. yeah wow almost a teenager almost no, a teenager. don't say that right yeah and she's so sharp she's such a brilliant kid that's she's, awesome. She's singing. She's writing songs. Really? She, she entered the 48-hour film project last summer, which is, they were, they were the only kids group, and she made a movie. They made really? a five-minute movie and won a couple of awards at it. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure, a big benefit to you 
you guiding her and fun. leading her. Yeah, yeah, I just got to hang out. I was yeah. uh, well, I just mean in general for her to have that ambition. You know, she yeah, sees it in you. Yeah, you know. So for me, I, I mean, I saw it as an opportunity. I knew she was interested, and then when she showed some interest, I was like all about enabling that to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, you say a future, you know, musician, right? And you could record some of her yeah stuff. and if she's going to become a future musician i sure hope that i can educate her and you know help guide her in a way that she's very successful at it because obviously the world has a long history of creatives that right um, work very hard and often struggle to make ends meet with that so right well at least she's in a good good market to uh automatically have that competition to you know step her game up because that's yeah. what uh, you know a lot of the musicians in the, in the other podcasts we're talking about is like you know man i can go home and and i'm good you know or i'm, I'm kind of great but you come here and it you know really makes Yo, you go yeah Nashville's... i thought i was good but now it's like man you know not only do i have to be really good but i gotta know people and connections and stuff like yeah. that you know well i mean I, I hear a lot of that people hear people say like oh i don't call myself a guitar player here but on the other hand, I think that's I don't think we should let that high level of musicianship right make us want to, you know, put our tail between our legs. I think we should just be inspired by it. Right. And, you know. And I think mo- I think most it. are most that come here because they know that's what they're coming for, you know. So, uh, what's a pivotal marker in your life um, that helped kind of shape who you are today? I think that one of the uh, I mean there are many. One of them was seeing a studio when I was traveling in Hong Kong and saying that's what I want to do for a career. And then fast forward another 10, 15 years and of course when my daughter was born that was a real pivotal marker for me. Um, that changed everything in my life. She's the best record I ever made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had just been focused solely on being in the studio. I was at that point in my life where I just I woke up I went to the studio to go work with the band I was working with you know work all day take a dinner break maybe get a little exercise come back to the studio work all night until I collapsed and do that seven days a week and so at the point at which my daughter was born and I quit touring and being on the road to work with bands and make records and then came back and said I'm going to do I'm going to settle in right here in East Nashville and I'm going to do my home studio thing that was a real pivotal point because I really focused on growing my network and connections right here locally and really being known for making records with people and that sort of thing. Yeah, kids tend to uh, kind of change your life a little bit and give you a different perspective and, you know, for the better in most cases. Absolutely. Know? I mean, I, I, like I say, I used to work all day, seven days a week, and I sort of imagined what it would be like to have a weekend off. And now, you know, it took me a little while to transition, but now I just, I always just, you know, I just... Weekends are for weekends, yeah. for, for parenting, and I try and take those off. Now, I might do a little bit of work on the side. But, right, right. Yeah, but, I think uh, that's that's always a challenge is uh, giving yourself the freedom being an entrepreneur to not work. Because yeah. just like with what you do and I do, it's like there's always something more I could do to bring more business. You know, I could market more. I could do this. And, and it's tough because you have that, that mental battle of like, I need to work harder. But And I guess, you know, because I'm... I'm uh, I'm still younger into entre- entrepreneurship, so I'm still having to you know give myself that freedom to say, you know what, you don't have to work, you know, you don't have to jump back on the computer, you know, put the phone down, give the kids the attention, right, you know, type stuff. So yeah, well, and then the other thing is when I made that real shift from all my time working to very focused, like 
not working weekends and then then still only working like an eight-hour day during the weeks, I thought at first that would be limiting and it would prevent me from accomplishing the things I wanted to accomplish. But it, in reality, it actually, I've, I've uh, thrived more. Mm-hmm. You really learn how to focus your abilities right. and focus your attention and your effort and your work and your, fo- your focus. Focus your focus. Right, focus your focus, yeah. There you go. That's, um, a, that's a phrase. Take it and run yeah. with it. <laughs> uh, so tell me about a person who had a huge influence in your life um, and then somebody today that that you kind of follow that you look up to. Well, let's see. so a person who had a huge influence in my life, you know, if I, if I go way back, it's family, like my mom and my dad and my mm-hmm. stepdad, too. My stepdad owned a movie theater, and so I learned how to I started, sort of appreciating film and, and music, too, through him, and, uh, and got my first job as a projectionist and stuff. But when I moved to Nashville, I finished school, and, and I came and looked for my first studio jobs and stuff like that. And the first place I landed was a studio in Berry Hill called Alex the Great. Mm-hmm. And it's owned by a couple of guys, Brad Jones and Robin Eaton. And Robin is a brilliant songwriter who is a you know real creative mind, and he writes poetry every day, and he really thinks outside the box with production. And he really became my mentor, you know, and he taught me so much and took me under his wing. We started producing records together, and I just learned a ton from him. So I think having an attitude of learning how to enjoy the creative lifestyle and and not sweat the little things, you know, when I used to be so worried about whether I was doing it right and you know would I succeed and all this, he was always just like he was like, ah, oh, you're gonna do fine. I was like, really? Yeah, I'm gonna do fine. Okay, all right then. Let's let's you know let's go do this thing. Right, right. Yeah. So that was a real inspiration. <clears throat> yeah. And how about today? Today, I actually would say I'm, I, I I've done something that surrounds my podcast where I created a group um, that is under the term mastermind. Mm-hmm. I don't know if yep. if your listeners oh, would yeah. be familiar oh, with that idea. I'll say I I do, but yeah. Yeah. So a mastermind group is essentially um, when you create your own support group of like-minded individuals that are, you know, similarly goal-oriented and you meet regularly and you encourage each other and you you uh, create a, you know, a feedback system and an accountability system. And I created a group like that and we meet every Friday and I was just on our two-hour video call this okay. morning with that. So it's not an individual, but it's a group of individuals. And these are all other YouTubers, podcasters, audio bloggers that are similarly teaching people how to record music and make better records and that is by far the most impactful mm-hmm. and influential and you're leading it and it's that in my life yeah yeah, yeah. but it's it's kind of a loose collective too right. it's not a very right. strict like i'm not the chair telling people okay you just kind of coordinate you know? it right well that's kind of you know speaking of masterminds like we wouldn't be in here if it wasn't me being involved in a mastermind group there you go you know? yeah they're so helpful the connection not not only the the accountability and and how you just encourage but being around like-minded people yeah and the push and then the ideas i mean it's funny i'll listen to i mean i already have like a couple of the masterminds i'm i've been in book authors so it, you always have that in your mind too of like going all right so what do you do doing to either one position yourself to coach and then mastermind kind of facilitate it coordinate it and then also if you ever did desire to write a book or to teach what you are learning Um, and so it's just it's funny being around different people throwing out ideas and it really helps you know you got to be strong in what you're doing or else you can run all over the place right right but at the same time i think it's uh it gives you a lot of good creative ideas to not get stuck in just doing one thing so very beneficial yeah and uh, and listen 
listeners, if you're not familiar with Mastermind and you went to Google it now, you might find a variety of answers, one of which is there are organized Mastermind groups where you can go pay money to participate, but you can also just simply create your own, and right. that's what I've done. I, okay. Actually, I've done both. So we have a mutual friend, Mark Hafner, yeah. and I met him and Jamie, Jay, yep. both of whom I met through a Mastermind group that was part of a paid course and community that I joined to yeah. learn how to podcast. Right, right, yeah. They're, they're very beneficial, so that's uh, that's pretty cool. Tell me some struggles you've had along your journey. What effect did it have on your life, and how did you uh, become a better person because of it? Well, again, the struggle of going from a traveling career to settling into my home studio here in Nashville, that was a situation where I had, you know, what could be construed as like a failure from one career opportunity to another that turned into you know, one of the best things I've ever done. But it was a situation where I had been working with the same artist and and different bands that he'd been in for 10 years. And we'd made a lot of records together. We'd a lot, done a lot of great stuff. But I was traveling to do that. And I, and I was in Los Angeles. Uh, I'd taken up the opportunity to start a new record with these guys. And I went out there. And, and I think in my heart, I knew I did want to do it because I enjoy the creative rush of, of recording with these guys. But I also knew in my heart that it was a deep, you know, black hole that I could fall into and never come out of for a long time because that's just the way, that was the creative process that we did. And so I went out there, but I, I chose to do it. I had just gotten married and I just had my daughter. And we just moved a family into my house. So I went from being single to family of five in one move. <laughs> wow. Because she was, I already had, you know, I had two stepdaughters mm -hmm. and everything. So it was, it was a huge shift for me. And this opportunity came along to do the record. And it was the only thing I had in front of me that said, you can make this much money every month if you go do this thing. And so I thought, I, I got to go do it, you know. And I went off and a year just disappeared. So I was I was in Los Angeles for a year and I would work for two weeks and then uh, try and take a red eye flight home to Nashville, spend one Sunday here, see everybody, you know, be exhausted, fall asleep in the middle of the day, go fly back out to L.A. and go, go record again. Wow. And I did that. And finally, it just like it was enough. We were spending a year. We weren't done. This was at a time where, you know, there was still huge amounts of money spent to make a record and um it was just the way we were doing things too mm -hmm. and so finally i had to just let go and i just said like i can't do it anymore i've got to go home to my family in a way it felt like a failure and a low point for me because i was giving up um you know i ended up not you know not getting paid for the last for you know it was significant that i didn't get paid in the end because i didn't stick it out all the way through or this or that or whatever the reason was it was most some bs but right right uh and i came back and then i started my studio here so that it felt like this huge failure but then the process of starting my the toy box studio and building and growing that has been so much more rewarding musically and i've made so many more records and i've, I've gotten to know people and done so much great stuff so that kind of life transition right you know i think we hear about that stuff all the time but when you go through it it's it's hard to um see the forest for mm -hmm. the trees at the time you know yeah that's my exact thought is you you can look back and go wow what a blessing you know it was a struggle but and hopefully you know all struggles would do you know we do learn from it yeah. you know and not fall right back into it you know 
Um, I was reading a, a post actually with the mastermind group that I'm a part of, and one of the guys, he, he quit a full-time job and jumped out and doing what he was doing, but solo and took the risk and, you know, has two kids at the house. And, and there was a part of him that saw some change kind of coming possibly in the future, but he just noted how, you know, I guess a coworker he was with ended up getting, you know, an option, you know, either you move to New York or, or something else. So his job probably would have been depleted, but he was just thankful, one, being around a group of guys that were encouraging for him to take that leap, but two, now he looks back, and this is kind of the beginning of his journey in that, but once he, you know, a year from now, I bet you he'll even look back further and go, wow, that was a risk, but it was well rewarded, you yeah. know, and so I reflected on my change um, when I got let go of a job, and it was like, what? You know, a shock because my wife was home, but then fast forward now, I look at the journey, you know, from there to what I'm doing now, and it's like, man, what a blessing, you yeah. know? It was yeah, awesome, totally. really. I'm glad that I got booted out of, of where I was going to go, you know? And I, I wouldn't and you be made doing the what choice, I'm doing now, you know? too, if I was still doing that, you know? Right, and, right. And now with my podcast, for example, you know, creating my studio here was wonderful, and that was something I kind of created out of nothing, but it was also something I'd seen a lot being done, and there's a whole other topic around that, too, because now there's a whole home studio issue going on in right. Nashville. Right, yeah. I'll let you elaborate on that here. All right, and, but, but creating the podcast was like nobody else I knew was doing anything like that, and while it hasn't become like a full-time income yet or anything like that, it's really wonderful to have created something out of thin air. So I was just at, at the Winter NAM conference walking around, literally, you know, and being a little bit of a minor celebrity sometimes because people would just come up to me, strangers, and say, mm -hmm. introduce themselves because they recognize me, tell me that they loved listening to my podcast and how much of a huge help it's been on their journey of learning how to record music and all these things. Yeah. Which is just, you know, that's pretty amazing. Right. Feeling Very to know rewarding that you're for you. People like that. Yeah. And, um, that process of coming up with an idea, launching it, creating it out of nothing, building it and growing it until it starts to become something that seems like it's, it's you know, always been there on a certain level. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that really comes also out of um, having a mastermind group like that. Right. You've got a group of people that get it, get what you're doing, keep you on the path, and don't let you falter. Or when you feel like you're just all alone out there doing it, it's great to have a group of people you can turn to that, yeah. are, that got your back. Yeah, and, I, and I've also found over the last couple of years in making a lot of big decisions, and you know, you kind of want to perfect it all, realizing that there's not always uh, one way. You know, there's multiple ways and multiple opinions. But I also found that it's very beneficial to ask several because even though they're all over the place, and you're like, how the heck am I supposed to decide? Whenever you know there's multiple opinions, you obviously got to be strong in yourself to kind of know where you're going. Just like you, I picked your brain whenever I was. Um, I'm probably thinking of the other name for the other podcast. And uh, you threw a couple of things out there that made me go, okay. So I like gathering different nuggets from everybody and yeah. then kind of piecing it together. And then you'll have a couple that'll say similar things. And you know, that's a, you know, and you also know the person too. And you might have more respect for their opinions. So it's kind of interesting, the process, you know, because sometimes I'm like, dang it, why did I ask that question? Now, how do I narrow that down? But usually there's always, you know, a benefit to it. Yeah. And the nice thing about a mastermind group too is that it's meant to be people that are 
are going to ask you the tough questions. Mm-hmm. They're not going to let you get away with it. So it's not just a support group of family. It's like, oh, that's nice. Right, nice. exactly. That's wonderful. You know, it's like people who are like, you know, you can do this, but here's why I think maybe that idea is, you know, you might want to rethink that one. You know, I had guys just this morning were beating me up on my website. Apparently my website's taking more than three seconds to learn. Right. Had no idea that was such a problem. That's, well, and you know what? I, I pull up mine sometimes and it's a little slow. And and I actually am thinking about that myself yeah. because that's a, you know, factor. Somebody's like, you know, we want stuff so instant. Yeah. So being an entrepreneur, I know for me at times, you know, um, you lose a deal or, you know, just waking up sometimes you don't have a plan. You kind of get stuck. So when you have moments where you might be down, how do you get yourself going and, and push through that? I do a couple of things. One is I remind myself that, you know, in the wise words of my mentor, it's going to be okay. The guys in my mastermind group would let me know that it's going to be okay too. So I, I have enough experience to know that it, it might suck right now, but it'll probably be okay, especially if I do something about it. And I will try and break it down into a bite-sized chunk and do something. Because one thing I know is that uh, like all you can do is all you can do. And when you're doing all you can do, it's a lot easier to sleep at night knowing that, well, you did what you could do about that problem. Um, so you won't stress about it as much. It's more stressful. I'm more likely to not sleep and be stressed if, if inside I know there's something I should be doing and I'm just not doing it yet. And then if I figure out what the next move is and I just start that process, then it's okay. And remarkably, you know, I've got over 130 interviews now for my podcast and it's been two and a half years. So it's, it's, uh, you know, a weekly show. And it's amazing to like, when you're looking in hindsight at things you've done, it's really remarkable. And when you're looking forward, it's harder to see that stuff. But when you know that all it takes is one step at a time and that really all you have to do is just take the next step, point your car in the right direction. Uh, well, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but <laughs> <laughs> Sounds point, good. point your bare feet in the right direction and take one step that you will get there if you just keep going. Yeah. That can help you get through those things. Or in most... Just get yourself back on the path. You yeah, know? or in most cases, your shoe in the right direction. Right, you're, <laughs> for most of you, your shoe. <laughs> but also, like, being really self-forgiving. That's really, really important. There's, it, You're going to find that your absolute worst enemy is yourself always. And you're going to be your worst critic, your harshest critic. You're going to be the one who picks apart what you did in a terrible way and makes it hard for you to move forward. So if you can just be forgiving of yourself, pick that one next step you've got to do, and then allow that it may not be a perfect, but at least you'll make that step, then eventually you've just made enough steps that you've you've, walked the whole journey. So in a great word of Frozen, let it go, let it go, right? You just sing that to yourself over and over. I prefer the YouTube video where they go, let it go. And it's like it's like a goat. Oh, a goat. That's yeah. hilarious. That's hilarious. Um, hey, check out that squirrel. Oh, that one is squirrel. Okay. Was that a little ADHD? Uh, yeah, that, that was a little ADHD. So speaking of squirrels, I'm going to have to do that each time. I just kind of get people's. Oh, you did see yeah, it went the other direction. Oh, man, it's a good thing I didn't see that. I would have totally you lost your conversation. Made you look. Um, so keeping focus. What's your uh, what's your tips and how to keep focus? There are strategies that I've tried, like the Pomodoro technique, 
which maybe your listeners will know about. That's something you hear in the sort of productivity blog podcast world that says you take a timer. The Pomodoro is a, a, an Italian tomato or something like that. And so the Pomodoro technique originally was a kitchen timer that looked like a tomato. And you turn on the timer and you sit down and you say, I will only focus on this task in front of me while the timer's running. And then when the timer goes, I'll force myself to take a five minute break and I'll get up and walk around and I'll come back and go to work again. Okay. So you, you compartmentalize and segment, segment your time into chunks to get stuff done that way. And that can really really help you get super focused and also like ditch all your other distractions because if you know that you only need to focus on this one thing for 25 minutes you'll feel much better about blowing off a facebook bing or whatever else right. thing comes along your radar because you can get to it later i've tried that i don't do that regularly that's really effective i think if you can compartmentalize your time in that way but what i do is i use google calendar and i like to very carefully really commit to what am i doing at different times of the day all through the week and i think that will help that that definitely helps me get a strong stronger sense of what I really can accomplish and what I can't. Some things just go in, it's like, do this thing on this day, you know, but other things I say, all right, I'm blocking out this hour or two hours and I'm going to work on this particular project. And then I've got a lunch meeting with somebody. You know, I had a block in for my call this morning and then one for doing this interview. And then somebody's coming to meet me at lunch after that. And then I forget what I'm doing after that, but it's in my calendar. It's Friday, somewhere. right? It's but Friday. It's Friday. So yeah, so maybe can, I'll give myself a yeah, break. Yeah, you could take it off. And, and I'll tell you, man, something that else is helping, because one of the first things to go is that workout. And I, I just turned 50. And and that, that exercise is so important mm -hmm. to me to just feel good and stay in good health that I've started, instead of just saying I'm going to work out on Monday, Wednesday, Friday or something like that, and I'll find time, I actually go put it in my calendar. And I said, right. I'm going to the gym for a two-hour block. And I, and I learned to be honest with myself. Right. It's like, right. I need two hours. I can call it an hour. It's not an hour. Yep. It's two hours to get there, get dressed, do the workout, take a shower, you know, hit the sauna in the steam room. We got a great sauna in the steam room at nice. the, the downtown YMCA here. Okay. It's the best. You got a downtown downtown? It's just yeah. such a great facility. Yeah, got, do you play racquetball? Uh, you know, my, actually, I started playing with my daughter. Okay. Kind of fun. Yeah. Not, they got, not, they got, not seriously, but yeah. just like hitting the ball. Around. I got I got to start playing it again. I, I love it. It's I played it in it college. Really actually, fun, I, took the, yeah. I took racquetball class in college. It's good for your competitive edge. It is. It is. It's good for it. Especially it's when it's you learn awesome that like, the really great players don't exert nearly as much Exactly. As they do. sit in the back and kill it. It's you just like, which is position the, the, the shots. Kind of the fun part of it, I like, is running all around. Yeah. You know? So, but when you're losing, it's great to have that skill to where you can just kill it and catch up and not have to kill yourself. It's a good entrepreneurial analogy, in fact. It's like when you start out, it's actually kind of fun to run around. There, it, it satisfies an urge that we have to do a lot and be productive yes. and then eventually at some point when you really want to succeed with it you just learn to be very efficient and precise and not run around so much right that's you know, smarter, very not harder very good very good analogy so how are you currently impacting others around you well i i definitely i've got a couple of ways so as a, as a parent i'm impacting my daughter by trying to lead by example and really be open about communicating with her so there are a lot of things that i grapple with in my life and I don't burden her with them, but I pause and I and I I will bring it up. I'll just include her in my thought process when I think it's appropriate, whether it's money. I don't know about love and dating so much, right. but you know, maybe a little bit. But uh, just decisions around the house. I want her to grow up understanding the world around her and not have it be a mystery when she you know is kind of doing her own thing. 
and through my podcast I'm influencing, you know, I've, I've had over half a million downloads now for recording Studio Rockstars, and I get emails and messages from people all around the world who are telling me that it's this incredible resource for them to go learn all about records, you know, making records better. And it, this, so that's really, really inspiring to me to be able to help people do this. I didn't have a resource like that when I was starting out. We didn't have YouTube and I didn't have podcasts. I certainly didn't have a, a show with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours. Actually, uh, yeah, hundreds and hundreds. That's that's only two. That's accurate. If I yes. said hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, I might have been embellishing. Right, 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 right. <laughs> keep keep like, it real. You know, those lessons. Uh, and then also, you know, you, you were saying we can we can get get to this, but one of the things I'm also going through right now with my home studio, with the Toy Box studio, yes. is I'm directly confronting an issue that exists here in Nashville, Tennessee, that disallows any home business to have a customer or a client come over. So basically, all home studios, uh, well... I'll speak about myself. So my home studio, I, I got a cease and desist letter from the city of Nashville a couple of years ago that said, hey, you're operating commercially because we can see on your website that you're charging money to work and you're inviting artists to come work with you and that sort of thing. Um, so, you, so you have to stop and you're not allowed to do that. And I went through a long process last year of trying to rezone my property to, to legally and above board do it the way that Nashville allows it to be done. And I got support from neighbors on all sides. Uh, a petition with 40 signatures, you know, seven letters written by my immediate neighbors to the city metro council, over 50 emails sent to every council member uh, showing support. And then 15 of my neighbors came down in person during rush hour traffic and paid parking to go be at the public hearing to show support. And they still didn't allow me to rezone. They said, yeah, sorry, we're, st we're still going to vote it down. And so I, I decided that I didn't want to take that doing nothing and laying down. So I took it to the next level, and I'm actually very publicly suing the city of Nashville right now for infringing my constitutional right in the Tennessee Constitution, you know, for a right to liberty and happiness and the ability to make a living from my home. Right. Wow. So that's a big Pretty big, yeah. yeah. And I've gotten a huge flood of support from musicians and studio owners mm -hmm. here and, and around the world saying, you know, that's how can that how can this be? Right. Um, so the reason why maybe I'm glossing over the connection here, but with the limitation on customers, that simply means that you know Nashville, a place where great musicians still get together and make music face to face. I want to be able to do that in front of my microphones in my home studio, and Nashville doesn't allow that. So right. That's, that's really the limitation. I mean, I could go down there and you know only make camper, music through right? the internet or something. Yeah, or a camper right. like this. I can park on the street and do it, maybe. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know. So if um, I can run a microphone out to your car if you right. park in front of my house. When you win, what would be the ramifications for others around there? Will it will it well, change so, them? Yeah, so I think it'll set a precedent, and it'll it'll basically light a fire under the uh, rear ends of the Nashville Metro Council to go ahead and solve this for everybody and, and make it a something that needs to be solved now. So that, it, that's my goal. And of course, I said it positively, you know, to speak. Well, because I think, I mean, you think about, you know, I'm I work from home. So um, I don't have clients come in, now. but I'm yeah. I'm in my 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 shed quarters as I call it. But then. I mean, how many new businesses are letting people work from home? Yeah. You know, so really, how is that that different? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, well, exactly. And I mean, really, it's like the, the concerns that people raise are all just simple ones. They're like, you know, if your home becomes something that's disruptive of the neighborhood. Right. 
you know, how's that going to work? Well, it's like, well, there's already existing limitations in place that say you can't do things that are disruptive, and that covers it. Right. You know, for example, my home studio here is pro professionally soundproofed, so it doesn't create any sound problems. I've got plenty of parking in my driveway, so it doesn't create any parking problems. And, and I have nice privacy wooden fence, so it doesn't create any indication that there's even anybody over. Nobody would even know. All of which is allowed anyway. Right. You know, you could legally have an orchestra over to your house to record every single day as long as it's for fun. Yeah, yeah. That's you know. crazy. Well, good luck on all that. Yeah, thank you. So yeah. if you're curious about that, go to savehomestudios.com, and I'm collecting all the articles that are being written there, and I, I intend to uh, start growing some awareness around Nashville over the year because uh, I just got a call from two other studios just the other week that got shut down here in really? Nashville. So wow. It's happening. It's a real problem, and I just happen to be fortunate to be at the forefront of it of the issue and be in a position to really do something about it well and yeah you would think that something would get done because there's so many musicians again yeah. again that's just musicians but not so many artists that are doing so many different things and i think the more entrepreneurship as it grows the more people working from home you yeah know? and it's not just an issue for the studios as you right. said it's an issue for the musicians because yeah. the entire music scene here in nashville relies on this infrastructure i mean it's like one of those um you know geological studies where it's like you know if you take away the plankton from the local pond here or whatever then then the fish die yeah yeah really and the musicians rely on home studios to be able to make affordable records to keep their career going you know to mm -hmm. create the music that makes this place thrive even on the, the the highest commercial level of music making here in Nashville, it all comes ultimately from this, you know, working at home, right. creating music at home. Which is interesting even, you know, it's interesting how, how many politics are behind everything, just yeah. like the new Airbnb scenario that's happening. And there's reasons why people won't that stopped you know but i don't know all of them but well you know you get into confusions of issues i think yeah. sometimes um situations take advantage of the opportunity in a way that's disruptive right exactly like and again yeah. we just need to address that right just there's an keep that know, out. expression don't throw the baby away with the bath exactly water, well which is the weirdest expression ever but yeah yeah, because you couldn't even fit a baby through the I, I don't thing, know. you know. No, I think you're dumping the, oh. the old school tub. Okay, they would throw it away. Yeah, I don't huh. know. Yeah, yeah, that's actually the that's that's kind of the sucky thing in life sometimes is that one person can ruin it for all, or at least yeah. I guess you know I what think I'm in, in our situation here, the real right, issue it's is, is it's just limitation on yep. you know what's a, a draconian law yeah on the books that just isn't up to date, you know. Yeah. And the cool thing is, I guess the opposite of saying that is that one person can make a big difference, can make change too. I hope so. I'm trying. I got so, a, lot, a lot of people that want me to. Good, good. Keep up the fight. So, uh, with some of the changes you've made and leaving, you know, something, actually walking away from probably quite a bit of money, you know, to stay home. If listeners want to make an impact, they want to make a change, but they're stuck and usually because of fear, um, what advice can you give them to break free of that? Uh, I think the very first thing you do is you have to quiet the noise a little bit. And I think you have to figure out what it is that you really are motivated by. Because whatever decision you make is gonna, um, if you wanna take risks and start a journey that could take you great places, but you gotta go 
you know, down um, some risky paths to get there, you're going to need a hell of a lot of motivation to get there. And, and so you have to be able to wake up every day and love what you're doing and be really motivated to be able to push through it as an entrepreneur. Otherwise, you're going to run into obstacles that just make you want to give up and you're just going to give up because you just don't really care that much. So the first thing you have to do is figure out what it is that you're really passionate about. And you have to be really honest with yourself. You have to think, you have to break it down. So for me, I finally realized that one of the things that I absolutely love doing the most is I really love to make music with my friends face to face. It's as simple as that, you know? When I look at all the things I've done and different elements of them, uh, it boils down to that as being one of the most fun things for me to do. So anything that allows me to create music with other people and really build the community around it is going to be satisfying enough to me to keep pushing forward and keep doing it. So I'm always looking at it from that that perspective and it's tough because you know I often see things that look like they could be potentially lucrative opportunities mm -hmm. and I always have to ask myself in the context of that does it fit that or is it something that's off to the side and really a distraction yeah but I mean you know I think for you who are listening whatever you're thinking about you, you could be anything so like you know it's up to you you just have to really first start by figuring out what's what you love in life and what you're passionate about and then just pretty much devote everything you've got to that mm -hmm. all of it <laughs> yeah and I, and I was sitting there thinking as you were talking to about just making an impact not even only fear but people yeah. who want to make an impact I mean the thought is turn the TV off you know right um, not that everybody's unless you want to be it, a TV producer and you have to study well, and do your homework that's true but you know just someone who has a normal you know nine to five job it's like you know we we all yeah. have plenty of time yeah. and at times whenever I'm like man I need to do this and this I realize all right just like last night I watched this <laughs> this funny thing on Amazon Prime with Sean Claude Van Damme, oh, and it was like, it was yeah, it actually, I won't. I used to love his stuff. I can't believe he still. He doesn't look like he aged all that much. No, but it's kind of funny. I don't know if you watched it. It's. it's I think he's wearing better looking jeans these days. Probably though. so. There's it's some... kind of a comical thing of like almost making fun of him back in the right, day. Yeah. But even with that, it's like, all right, I snacked and watched Thirty. I'm like, ah, I could have done something more efficient with my You watched 30 episodes? No, That's 30 impressive. minutes of it. Yeah, I've never vegged. In it. So I've, now if you are going to sit down and watch TV, though, watch the OA. The OA. That's so good. Is that on what? I think it's on Netflix. Okay. That's the thing is anytime somebody says, hey, watch this now, it's like, what's it on? Or Stranger Things. I don't know things. if I have it. Or... Stranger Things is good. But the OA just, that blew me away. Really? And I'm watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel now. That was another one. I think that might be Amazon or something. Okay. I will say this. I'll make this comment. You're absolutely right. Yes. Turn the TV off. However, good God, do we live in a, in a time and an era of good television right now. <laughs> like, yeah. The long form television is pretty stunningly great. It is true. I mean, you think about like the movie, the quality of the stuff that's on Amazon Prime Originals. You know, like yeah. I've watched a couple of one show with Billy Bob Thornton and it was like, man, that would be like a, a movie and they're breaking it down to, you know, our segments. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the level and quality of the acting that's going into it and the writing and these long storylines. I mean, remember like when I was growing up, it was rare that you had some sort of mini series on yeah. TV that would come back and I just remember like the thorn birds that's the one i seem to yeah. remember as a kid for some reason yeah i don't remember that one it was something um, that was turned into a miniseries you know so if you could look back at yourself at 20 uh what advice would you give yourself regarding business marriage or parenting keep watching spinal tap over and over okay. and over again right. now i just wanted to drop in spinal tap okay gotcha, gotcha. um no my advice to go back and and give myself advice when i was younger would definitely 
be um, just believe in yourself. You know, I spent a lot of time, I think it's good to, to be um, in the service of others, but at the same time, I never really was willing to take the risks to be the one writing the words and singing the song. So I always sort of fell into a support role in every band and music I made. And I produced other people's music instead of, you know, really doing that myself. Or if I wanted to produce more music, I didn't, I was cautious to take that risk and spent more time engineering, you know, pushing buttons. I, I think there were just like many versions of opportunities for me to dive in and just, you know, take ownership of the creative process, whatever it was. And for me, I think that just means a lot, having allowed myself to believe in myself more. Mm -hmm. And that goes for all of you listening. So the very best thing that you will ever be capable of creating is the one that is 100% you. So believe in yourself and let your own individual personality shine through in whatever you're doing, and that will open the most, door most doors and the most possibilities for success. Mm -hmm. And then go back to how to get over fear yeah because obviously that's a big part of it right. <laughs> but you might have to work really hard on that journey too yeah yeah definitely be willing to do that that's yeah. for sure so uh from the great words of timothy 4 7 um, i've fought a good fight i've finished the race i've kept the faith when your journey is over what legacy are you hoping to leave i see my legacy as as coming through my daughter right now I just sort of had this epiphany the other other day that, and I, I know this may not be fair because not everybody has children or is choosing to have children, but I realized, I was like, you know, we're really like, we're all one big family and we're just here to just like, it, it's like, you know, running with the Olympic torch. We're just here to carry that torch for a while and hand it off. And as long as the family is doing great, we're doing a great job. Yep. You know? I agree. So I agree. that's kind of... I think that might be where I'm at, and, and I think it's important for me to really experience the hell out of life and live it well and enjoy it, really, really soak it in, and just, there's so many blessings every single day. I mean, we're sitting, right now we're sitting in your cool trailer parked on my street, and mm -hmm. the, the warm sun's shining in through the skylight and, like, landing on my knee, and I can see down the street a squirrel running. I mean, there's so many reasons to be incredibly grateful every single day, no matter what is going on mm -hmm. you know yeah living life well um so this is an interesting story i was telling a guy this morning my wife and i were talking last night and I'm, I'm always a work in progress, even to continuously, you know, love my wife more. And uh, so we're talking last night and I was explaining something to her and uh, I thought it was pretty easy to understand, but she was questioning it and I got a little frustrated. And so Hudson, our three-year-old, he's in the bed, um, his crib, but uh, yeah, we keep, we're keeping the crib until he figures out how to jump out right, of it. You right. know? But anyway, so he's in there, and we it, the door was cracked a little bit. And so I'm talking to her, and I said, as whatever she was saying, and it, she we were kind of arguing a little bit. And I was like, God, I said, I said, I said, Natalie, you're so annoying, and I shouldn't say it, but I did. And like shortly after that, you hear Hudson. Why are you saying Miss Natalie? Why are you saying that? Why are you saying Miss Natalie's annoying? And I'm just like, oh my <laughs> gosh, you know, like if that's not a reality check. And I say yeah. that because you yeah. talk about influencing and leaving the legacy for your daughter. Yeah. And oh my gosh, like having three boys, I'm so reminded. And that's a three-year-old who picks up. And you know what my response is? No, I was talking to myself. And then I was like, maybe he's thinking Miss Natalie because uh, we have some friends and her name's Natalie. And 
so I'm like, maybe he thought I was talking about her. And, and I, I said, Hudson, I said, who are you? T- who's who's Miss Natalie? Mama. And I was just like, oh, man. And Natalie's just Can't like looking at me like, uh huh. And so uh, so it's just a great reminder, you know, yeah. that, man, I mean, at that age, the influence, you know, we have. And, and I was reminded of that this weekend and keep challenging myself to go, you know, over here, the influence you're having and over here, love more because you know they're seeing everything you're doing and at the you know at the core of who we all are there's the only thing that we really really can do in our lives is give like you can't take anything with you (laughs) right right ultimately give it you know yeah and so i've been trying to find ways to give more and um you know that means a different thing to everybody in different situations Mm -hmm. uh and then also um something that i like to do sometimes is just stop and imagine that every person you see has just as much importance and right to be here and living life as you do and what does that mean right ponder that for a moment yep if we're all you know if you if you perhaps believe in the idea uh, that i remember first reading about in a book called conversations with god Mm -hmm. it was the idea of all humans being sort of like one soul that is split and shared amongst everybody as they're living and that just really blew my mind to think about it Mm -hmm. and i think that that uh i think i like to believe that that spiritual perspective permeates through most religions you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. whichever whatever you're practicing at the core of it is some you know a shared humanity and man does that blow your mind when you think about that really hard yeah yeah walk walk down the street walk down a busy city crowded street and just look at people as they walk by and just think like you know you're you're my family member you know yeah. you're a brother or right. a sister and what does that mean you know? which you know i mean i guess you say that and to some that doesn't mean a whole lot because of their relationships with their brothers and sisters you know right that's a good point yeah. but the reality is is yeah it is it's having a different perspective and just figuring out how do you love love all you know and that's obviously in our in our day and age and i think probably it's just highlighted by the media as the problems we have but there's always been problems in loving people you know because we are so different so it's like how do you not just think that everybody should be like you because you know even though that would yeah. be that would be even hard for me to love myself. It's uh, true. It is. Yeah. Well, it's a good place to start. You know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I like to uh, imagine that the people that I have the most difficulty understanding are the ones that I should also figure out how to completely love and, and yeah. understand. And I like to imagine the world as a place where, if I'm able to do that, I would be utterly stunned at the connection that would right. be there underneath the surface. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I experience that in a lot of different ways at different right. times. Well, that's cool. Well, speaking of giving, thanks for giving uh, your time um, in the podcast, and uh, and actually, we're going to hear you play a song. Oh, okay, cool. That. So, uh, I see it. Thanks. Look at this. And actually, on that note, before we get into playing, how can the audience reach out to you and hear your podcast and everything you're doing? Yes. So, uh, again, my name is Lid Shaw. And if you want to check out my studio, you can go to thetoyboxstudio.com. If you'd like to listen to my podcast, go to recordingstudiorockstars.com. And if you're curious about how you can get involved in helping fight this battle to save home studios, uh, just go to savehomestudios.com. And that's 
that that it will you know be a place where you can uh, I think I'll set that up where people can add stuff but I, I'm definitely collecting all the articles right. and, and press that's happening just to tell the story and then if they want to see your live Bonnaroo studio go, studio go yeah, to, go to uh, the Haybell studio okay. com. I got a lot of dot coms yeah cool you start, got a lot going on there's my advice get yourself a hosting account and just start buying some dot coms <laughs> right. when you think of a cool name because they aren't that expensive when they're you know up and coming cool alright cool sounds good alright cheers Lids rock the Rambler today, that's for sure. If you're headed to Bonnaroo anytime soon, make sure to uh, find him somewhere out in all the crazy chaos in his Haybell Studios. I know he's had some pretty cool, awesome experiences in that, um, so that would be pretty interesting to see. You can also check his podcast out called Recording Studio Rockstars. So uh, check out the show notes, and you can find a little bit more details on that. Next week, make sure to tune in um, to hear Mary Beth Stone. Mary Beth is a songwriter from New York City. She has some pretty cool stories she shares of her journey in a rock and roll band when she was younger and to what she's doing today. It was neat to hear how just a little bit of encouragement from family members can go a long way as well. She's got a really, really neat, really cool story. I love uh, just sitting there and listening to uh, someone of her uh, experience, you know, just share her journey. It's just kind of cool. Make sure to tune in to episode 10 next week for Mary Beth. Thanks again for tuning in to Heart of Nashville. Hope you enjoyed the show. And just so you know, as the show kicks off, reviews can make a difference in the podcast world. Obviously, I think the stories are pretty inspiring and uh, no others will as well. Reviews help get the podcast noticed and out there in front of other people. So that's why um, in the earlier weeks and months, a lot of uh, podcasters are always asking for reviews. Um, that's my main reason. Um, as you, If you haven't picked up from now, uh, real estate is my full-time job. Um, so that's what I do for a living. And this is just something I do to meet people and get their stories out. So reviews is a great way to uh, keep that out in front of people. Make sure to check out the show notes for more details on the guest and ways to connect with Liz Shaw and Ross Holmes. And now, here's Ross again on the fiddle. And make sure to look him up if the nitty-gritty dirt man is in town. You definitely don't want to miss Ross. I think it's my dad's favorite fiddle tune, man. It's one I learned as a kid. It's called Sally Gooden. It's a contest tune. You'll hear this in fiddle contests, but uh, I never get tired of playing it, man. I really dig it.
hope you've enjoyed listening to Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter. We encourage you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. To be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts, send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com. Until next time, 